Americans all across this great land, from 3rd Avenue in Manhattan all the way to 7th Avenue, are outraged by the comments of conservative pastors who say the nation's recent problems are a punishment for sin. In the New York Times, a former newspaper, editor-in-chief Blithering Prevarication III published a tirade on the op-ed page, or as it's sometimes called, Knucklehead Row. Mr. Third wrote, quote, It is absolutely disgusting that conservative preachers with laughably thin necks and narrow faces are blaming sinfulness for everything from the absolutely not Chinese virus to the recent mostly peaceful riots to the fact that the moon has turned to blood to the frogs raining down on my Park Avenue townhouse and the swarm of locusts that descended on our garden devouring over $75,000 worth of transplanted saffron crocuses which Buffy, my fourth wife, and I had been hoping to use to dye our sailing outfits a fetching shade of yellow before heading out to the Hamptons for the summer. The primitive notion that these could be anything other than natural occurrences becomes all the more offensive once you realize that I don't even allow any wrong opinions to appear in my newspaper anymore, so what sin could there possibly be? Unquote. LGBTQMNOPXYZ activist Herman Aphrodite, a spokesman for the Society in Favor of Screwing Anything That Moves, declared the pastor's comments homophobic in a wildly shrieking voice as he was carried off by a gigantic bat with a human face. Planned Parenthood spokeswoman woman Carmine Slaughter also denounced the pastor, saying, quote, it is long past time this sort of backward religiosity was cleared away so we can get down to the work of sucking out the brains of babies and selling their body parts for cash, unquote. Miss Slaughter said she found the pastor's remarks ugly and absurd and something else that was impossible to make out after she was dragged beneath the earth by a small army of flaming skeletons. Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch was unavailable for comment. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are ringing, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-dee. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. All right, we're back, and I hope you are subscribing to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel so that Knowles doesn't get more subscri- subscribers than I do, which, of course, would cause a tear in the space-time continuum. We're following your comments on that site. It's got to be the Andrew Claven private YouTube channel. Uh, here's one from Larry F. Actually, it's a really good suggestion. He says, all we need to do to save the Claven is send him to a BLM rally to tear down a statue of Christopher Columbus, which will make him immune to COVID-19 but it would probably also make him depressed for tearing down a statue of his old friend that he sailed to the New World with all those centuries ago. Oh, that's very thoughtful of you, but I'll take a little depression uh, for my old pal, Christopher Columbus, if I can just stay alive another day. All right, it's funny, but there are some questions that rank-and-file left-wing activists never seem to get around to asking. Why does so much of the suffering among poor black people take place in Democrat cities? If racism is institutional, How come all our institutions, from universities to the bureaucracy to the press, are run by Democrats? And why is it that the richest people in the country support Democrats, the party that's supposed to be the friend to the poor? Alexandria Occasional Cortex is always groaning about income inequality and evil corporations, but she never seems to wonder why all the biggest evil corporations are Democrat donors. Why are Google and Twitter products of unfettered capitalism trying to censor anyone who veers from left-wing orthodoxy? 
Why were nine of the top 10 donors in the country Obama supporters? Why does Silicon Valley lean left when it's clearly right-wing values and practices that made it the wealthy little kingdom it is today? Unless you've invented a new version of human nature, clearly it must be that leftism somehow actually serves the interests of the rich and powerful. And of course, that's exactly right. High taxes, rampant regulation, the expansion of government all serve to keep the rich rich and the powerful powerful. Taxes never touch the real wealth of the wealthy. That's why guys like Warren Buffett and George Soros can virtue signal by calling for higher taxes that never touch their totally protected wealth. They just come after us, the middle class. Rampant regulation doesn't slow down Google with its armies of lawyers. It it slows down Joe Blow, who's trying to compete with Google with a new idea. And the consolidation of government power just makes it easy for the rich to know where to send their lobbyists when they need the latest regulatory break that will put them in an even stronger position to stifle the voices of free market capitalists who would put them at risk by competing with them. It's kind of strange, really. It really is that earnest socialists like AOC, because I I may doubt her brain power or at least her learning, but I don't doubt her earnestness. It's weird that she never seems to wonder why all her allies are so rich. It never occurs to a guy like Ta-Nehisi Coates why he gets so much money and praise from the same powerful white people his books attack. Just a little insight into human nature should clue them in that if they really believe in their causes, they're on the wrong side. All right, we will talk more about this and about how stupid Republicans are. (laughs) First, let us talk about Eero. Eero. You know, I've been using Eero for years, long before they became uh, sponsors. They are a way of boosting your Wi-Fi so you get the Wi-Fi your home deserves. You can blanket your whole home with fast, reliable Wi-Fi and not just inside, but outside too. I use it in my little writing hut uh, where my Wi-Fi has to extend to there. So I put a little Eero in there. It eliminates poor coverage, dead spots and buffering. You'll have a consistently strong signal wherever you need it. Eero sets up in minutes, plugging right into your modem or modem router box, and you manage it from a dead simple app. The app lets you pause the Wi-Fi for dinner and gets alerts if you, any device attempts to join your network. You can get yours fixed as soon as tomorrow. Go to Eero.com Andrew and enter code Andrew at checkout to get free next day shipping with your order. That's E-E-R-O.com Andrew. There are two E's. In Eero, if you've ever wondered why, where the E's in Clavin went, they went to Eero for E-E-R-O dot com slash Andrew, code Andrew at checkout to get your Eero delivered with free next day shipping. You must use this URL to receive this offer, Eero.com slash Andrew, code Andrew. The mailbag will be coming up later in the show, so say goodbye to your problems. Enjoy your problems while you have them. They'll all be solved. Uh, <laughs> you know... Republicans, if it weren't for Democrats, truly, Republicans would be the stupidest people on the planet. Republicans could not sell ice water to the damned. They really, they, really, they couldn't. I mean, a, a guy burning in the fires of hell, a Republican comes up to him and says, listen, you know, let me say this about that. This ice water, I have a graph here that shows you, according to my theory, and, uh, you know, remember the philosopher, uh, you know, uh, who said, I think it was uh, Hayek, uh, Hayek, who said that ice water is absolutely terrific if you happen to be burnt. By the time he was finished, like the guy was, now nah, just burn, thanks very much. Black Lives Matter is not Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is Black Leftists Matter. That's what it is. Black Leftists Matter. You go on their website, all their goals are completely gobbledygook leftism. If you press the donate button, if you press the donate button, where does it go? It goes to something called Act Blue. 
ActBlue is a nonprofit technology organization established in June 2004 that enables Democrats, progressive groups, and left-leaning nonprofits to raise money on the Internet by providing them with online fundraising software. Its stated mission is to empower small-dollar donors. Every time you hear a Republican say, well, Black Lives Matter, bonk, ActBlue. He's sending money to the opposition. That's how stupid Republicans are. Republicans have got a lot of answers. They've got a lot of answers that we need in poor communities, good schooling, school choice, uh, you know, new housing, different kinds of housing than the housing they've got, different locations, policing, better policing. It's Republican reform of policing that's been going on for the last 25, 30 years. Not Democrats, it's Republicans who have been reforming policing for the last 30 years. And they cannot get blacks to pay any attention. Instead, blacks are following this left wing idea into hell. They're following it into hell. Or maybe they'll stop. Maybe not. Maybe the silent majority is not all white. I mean, that's what Jason Riley said today in the Wall Street Journal. And I think he's got a point. The thing is, we have to learn to talk to people in pain. We have to learn to actually hear that people are in pain, even when we think they're in pain about the wrong thing. You know, you have to listen to people before you talk to them. That's just that's just true. You have to listen to people before you talk. When was the last time a Republican walked into some of these communities and said, tell me what's going on and listen to some solutions I might have? Never happens. All right. So police reform. Police reform has been pushed to the top of the agenda by black leftists matter. Black leftists matter have pushed police reform to the top of the agenda because they don't like the police because the police enforce the law and they're looking for chaos. We know this because in, in, they've got it in Seattle. They're looking for takeover. They're looking for overthrow. They're looking for destroy the United States. They're looking for blame the United States for all the things, all the ideas that they have that they're putting into motion come from Western culture. You know, they come from Locke. They come from Burke. They come from all these people uh, down the line from going back to the Bible, going back to Jesus and Moses. They come back all all those things, but they want to overturn all that because they've got a better idea. What is it? (laughs) Who knows? It's leftism. It's black trans. We're defending black trans. Press the button, act blue. That's what they're about. That is what they're about. So Donald Trump yesterday put out his executive order on police reform. Why don't we play Trump's clip? Americans want law and order. They demand law and order. They may not say it, They may not be talking about it, but that's what they want. Some of them don't even know that's what they want, but that's what they want. And they understand that when you remove the police, you hurt those who have the least the most. So that's his law. He's sounding the law and order note for his people, but he's also putting out you know, an executive order calling for reforms, uh, banning chokeholds, except in cases when uh, the police's life is in danger, uh, teaching good practices to lessen conflict, uh, a database, a federal database, which is just going to mean more paperwork, but maybe it's not a bad idea, a, a database for bad cops so bad cops can't move around uh, from one place to another. They're going to get in a fight later about ways to uh, to get rid of bad cops, but never mind that now. So, so all of this is a good thing. Police reform is a good thing. I, you know, I mean, like I said, Republican cities have been reforming the police for a long time, but I, I'm perfectly willing and we should be willing to hear people in pain about the police, right? To say, oh yeah, the police come to my neighborhood. All the guys are afraid of them. The guys, you know, put up their hands the minute the police come by. All our sons and fathers have been arrested, you know, and, and Republicans say, wow, well, they're criminals. 
Absolutely true. And by the way, broken window policing, which is what we're talking about, we're talking about going into a neighborhood and starting to arrest people for small crimes, because once you uh, allow the small crimes, the place turns to chaos. That's what happens. Every study shows this. And the police found that when they go in and arrest people for vandalism, when they arrest people for breaking windows and small crimes, all crime goes down and you send the police to where the crimes are. And that's and there's no uh, you know, there's no letting people off the hook. It's putting people away. That works. It brought, you know, there was an emergency in the 1970s in this country brought about by leftism. It was brought about by leftism. It was brought about by let's look at for the underlying causes of crime. Well, yeah, but first you got to get the criminals off the street. That's what finally happened when guys like Giuliani came in and brought in, uh, you know, poli- good police uh, chiefs like Ray Kelly and um, the other guy whose name slips my mind for a moment. But anyway, he brought in uh, terrific police chiefs uh, who actually started to do this. But there is another side to it. There is another side to it, which is in these neighborhoods, all the young men get arrested, right? And some of them may not have been doing all that much, and now they have a record, and now it's a problem, and now their life is in the system. That is a problem. And and so, again, I'm for it. I'm for police reform. I'm for law reform. I'm for finding new ways for the police to deal with the society. Part of this executive order was putting in social workers so the police don't have to be social workers. I think that's a good thing. We do the same thing to the police. We do the military. We ask them to go. We ask the military to go over to Afghanistan and build communities. That's not what they're there for. The military are there to kill people. That's why they're there. The military kill people and then go home, right? So so we ask the police the same thing. The police are there to arrest people. They're there to stop crime, but we ask them to be social workers. We ask them to be babysitters. We ask them to be all the different things that they have to be. And they're at the bottom of the social ladder. So all the stuff pours down on them. Again, police reform is a good thing, but listen to this statistic. Holman Jenkins Jr., great columnist, put this out today. A black American is 50% more likely to suffer hypertension, 16% more likely to die of cancer, but he's nearly 500% more likely to be murdered and 600% more likely to become a murderer. And part of this reason, he quotes a a book uh, by uh, Jill uh, Leovi, a Los Angeles crime reporter, who points out that in some of these neighborhoods where the police don't do enough, where the police have been chased out, they devolve into Afghanistan-like communities where the only way to defend yourself is sometimes to kill a guy before he kills you. And then you have vengeance. I mean, you've all seen gangster movies. Once the killing starts, the killing has to go back and forth because nobody wants to give away. That is Afghanistan. That is the life of Afghanistan. The life of Afghanistan is two villages who have been feuding about a rape that happened 400 years ago. That is really what happens there. And it starts to happen in these neighborhoods when they aren't policed. Of course, of course, without the police, it's, it's, not, it's not the race. It happens everywhere. I mean, this is one of the things we learned. We learned during the Obama administration when he basically abandoned the middle of the country. We learned when, when white people lose their communities, when white people lose their marriages, when white people don't do the things that you need to keep a civilization going, they start taking drugs. And okay, instead of shooting heroin, they're taking Oxycontin, but it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. So this is what happens when these neighborhoods go bad. Jason Riley writes a a piece today called uh, America has a silent black majority. Riley's from the Manhattan Institute. So it makes him my colleague. He says most black people know 
that George Floyd is no more representative of blacks than Derek Chauvin is of police officers. They know that the frequency of black encounters with law enforcement has far more to do with black crime rates than with racially biased policing. They know that young black men have far more to fear from their peers than from the cops, and they know that the rioters are opportunists, not revolutionaries. There's nothing wrong with having a national conversation about better policing, Jason Riley says, but this one has turned into a conversation about blaming law enforcement for social inequality, which is not only illogical, but dangerous. Unsafe neighborhoods retard upward mobility and poorly policed neighborhoods are less safe. A conversation that doesn't acknowledge that reality is hardly worth having. So, you know, listen, I don't blame Trump for doing the political thing. He's a politician now. He's got to do what politicians do. But this is this is now dominating the national conversation. This is dominant. Police reform is dominating the national conversation and everything that would genuinely help black lives is not, which means that black leftists matter. One that, you know, black leftists matter. It's not black lives matter. It's not. It is not about black lives and all the corporations firing people who say, I don't agree with black lives matter. All the corporations firing people for saying all lives matter, all are firing them for not being leftists because corporations love leftism. They always bridle at it. And when they first hear it, they say, well, what raise taxes, raise regulations. And then they start to think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got a million lawyers in my back pocket. If they raise regulations, eh, you know, it's going to cost me a little bit of money, but it's going to keep the guy with a better idea than mine from starting his network and starting to compete with my network. It always, ha- it always happens this way. Big corporations finally figure out that big government is good for them. And that's what's happening. That's why they're supporting BLM. That's why you go on Amazon. And yeah, part of it is they're afraid of getting sued in, in a civil rights suit, but also they know Leftism helps them. Leftism helps them. So they're happy to to be leftists. I mean, I wonder if AOC ever thinks about this. Molly Hemingway was on the Brett Baer panel yesterday and they asked her about police reform and she threw this curveball at them. This is really interesting. More than anything, there's this huge elephant in the room that nobody is talking about. If you want to improve the situation for people growing up in the United States today, one of the very biggest things you could do is ensure that children are raised in homes with their own married parents. And we have a crisis in this country with 40 percent of children not being uh, born to married parents. And if you're talking about graduation from high school, getting into college, having a career, not getting in altercations with police, not being incarcerated, not being uh, drug addicted and all these types of things, this is one of the most important things we could do. Nobody seems to be talking about it, probably because it's very difficult to talk about it, but it's very important if we actually care about children in this country and improving their situation. You know, it, it's such a I mean, it's, it's like spitting into the wind, but she has to say it because it's the truth. But the thing about Republicans and conservatives, too, is we give up. We give up. We fight the, the next battle because we just we just surrendered. We surrendered New York. Bill de Blasio. And really, Kermit the Frog could beat Bill de Blasio and nobody will run against him. There's nobody, there's no living Republican who will stand up to Bill de Blasio, this communist anti-Semite jerk. In, and because they just f- figure out New York is lost. We don't, why put the money there when we can put it somewhere where we'll win? Nobody is saying, yeah, let's keep the marriage fight going because everybody has surrendered to this kind of idea that somehow a marriage between a man and a woman, which is marriage, is somehow offensive to gay people. They bought into the activists. They buy into the BLM people. They buy into the left. They really do. They, and they surrender. Republicans, second stupidest people in the country. 
All right, let us talk about ExpressVPN. Yesterday, I just renewed my ExpressVPN. I like to keep it going because I do not like people watching me online and stealing my information. I want my information protected because, you know, it's not like they can really steal that much from me, but they can steal my name and they can make my life miserable. And VPN, ExpressVPN protects you online. It's, it, you know, it's really, it really is something, if you haven't gotten it, you would, might want to ask yourself, why not? It's, you might think, well, nobody cares about me, but they do. They come after you and they come after your stuff. And it's easy. One of the easiest ways to secure your internet data is with ExpressVPN. You click one button on your computer or smartphone and you're protected. So why haven't you gotten ExpressVPN yet? Visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash Claven, and get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Protect your internet today with the VPN I trust to keep my data safe. That's expressvpn.com slash Claven. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how do you spell VPN? And because my audience is just not that bright. But what you should be asking yourself is... <laughs> Clavin, which is K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no I just make it look like this. It's true. So we surrender. We surrender all the time. And we keep saying, well, we've got to fight the next battle. You know, yesterday, yesterday I talked about Barack Obama and gay marriage. And I showed you how he cynically, dishonestly, but carefully and competently arranged to get gay marriage passed through the Supreme Court step by step. I played you a tape of him lying that he didn't support gay marriage when he had already said two years before in 2008, he said that when he was running for president, he said, marriage is between a man and a woman. But two years before that, he said, no, I, su I support gay marriage, but I wouldn't. He said, I support gay marriage, but I wouldn't start with gay marriage. And he set up a system where he was going to go after things that the public would tolerate, keep going through the courts, moving each new thing through the courts until finally he had it set up. And then, as he put it, I took a stand. And then he said what he had to say. He, st he stopped lying and started telling the truth. And of course, I call it lying because he was saying words that he knew were untrue. So I call that lying. But of course, Obama was scandal free. So it couldn't have been lying. It was some other word that describes lying. So but that's what he did. You know, that's pretty careful stuff. That's pretty careful thinking. You know, that is years in planning ahead. But what we say is, oh, we lost that. Let's move on. We lost. Let's move on. We can't go back. Let's move on. Civil rights law, you know, took away our right to association, but civil rights law is the law. Let's move on. Law of the land. It's the law of the land. You know, it's the law. You know, so they they appoint these activists on the Supreme Court who will just say, yeah, I don't like that part of the Constitution. I'm throwing that out. Now that I'm going to rewrite that. When the Constitution said that, what it really meant was, you know, sacrifice your children to Baal. When it said life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, it really said it meant you have a right to abortion. That's what they do. And then we say, well, it's it's the law of the land. It's the law of the land. I mean, it is almost as if Republicans don't mean what they say. Now, who would ever think that a Republican doesn't mean what he says? But leftism keeps the rich rich and it keeps the powerful powerful. And so people who are in power like leftism, it is government's nature to grow because government growing gives more power to the people in government. So who among them, who among them is going to stand up and say, yeah, I want less power. That's why that's why I'm sometimes awestruck by Donald Trump. You know, as much as much as I sometimes want to bang his head against the wall for being a dope, sometimes I just sit there and go, here's a guy who seriously does not care about the power of the powerful. That's why he's stuck in their crawl like he is. It's not it's not that he's mean. It's certainly not that he's racist. He's anything but racist. He's not. It's not that he's homophobic. He's one of the most pro. He was one of the most openly pro-gay presidents who's ever been elected. It's, it's none of that stuff. It's that he actually doesn't 
want the government to have that power because he's a businessman. He knows that he, you know, he wants business to be free. He knows it's actually good for competition when when the government gets a little smaller. Who else would cut back on government in a crisis? Who else does that? I mean, it's almost nuts. It's almost crazy. We've never seen it happen before, but he does it. And that's why he sticks in their craw. And that's why they won't let him. You know, <laughs> again, here's a guy who actually did something for black people, got them jobs. He's helped their neighborhoods. He's helped, you know, you know, listen, his prison reform thing, you know, his what was it called? First step. He put that forward. And a lot of people on the right said, well, this is a bad thing because it's going to mean crime goes up again. It probably will. However, crime has been pushed so far back that maybe we have to deal with the other problem. Look, it's life is tragic, right? One problem, you solve one problem, you cause another problem. It is a problem in black neighborhoods when all the men are being toted off to prison, when all the men are being put away. And some of them are putting, being put away for drug crimes. And, and the First Step Act did something about that. It actually lessened the war on drugs. And when you think about it, in California now, selling marijuana is an essential business. It's a business that they let stay open during the lockdown. So selling marijuana is an essential business. And there are kids or young men in prison for it <laughs> as we speak. So that, that doesn't totally make sense. You know, that's not totally tracking there. So he did stuff. James Clyburn was on with Brett Baer yesterday. He's the majority, the majority whip in the House. Right? He's the uh, one of the top Democrats in the House. Very smart politician. And and Brett Baer asked him, well, you know, he said Trump has done a lot of stuff for black people. Trump has really been good for black people, including this prison reform. Clyburn wouldn't give him anything. Listen to what he said. I know how the bill got done. Hakeem Jeffries wrote that bill. These guys have been working on stuff in that bill for I don't know how many years. How long have we been trying uh, to get these things done? So they get wrapped into the bill. His son-in-law uh, came up and worked with people uh, to get the bill uh, done, and the president signed it. But don't tell me uh, well, what he did. He did it. I mean, the administration did it. It wasn't the Obama the administration that did it. It was the Trump administration well, with Congress. You want to. I didn't come here to argue with you, but you can argue it if you want to. It's just not true. And that's not the only thing that this president says that's just not true. Yeah, they go to the Trump lies card every time, but it is true. I mean, what even even what what uh, he's saying, even what the whip is saying is we we wrote that bill, but they didn't get it anywhere. Brett Baer, being a good reporter, brought on the deputy assistant to the president, Jaron Smith, uh, to answer this. This is the first Smith cut. I think it's four. In fact, the whole concept of prison reform came from the White House and uh, being able to secure the bill in the Senate came from the president's leadership with Republicans to get it on the floor and commitment from law enforcement. Um, that's why we got the first step back. And um, for him to say that that's not true, is completely wrong. And uh, last of all, we're talking about a Republican Congress. So the Republicans controlled the House and the Senate. Um, that goes as well for HBCU funding. Um, all the HBCU funding that was historic in nature first started with the House Republicans and the Senate Republicans um, agreeing with the president to fund them. And then more importantly, permanent funding for HBCUs. Um, the Democratic plan was uh, temporary, um, and we made it permanent um, through negotiating with Lamar Alexander. And those are just the facts. <laughs> so, so, you know, where's this guy? 
Where is this guy? I mean, that was like that was like a fact show, which is what we want. Where? Wh- why isn't he out on TV more? Why isn't he going on television and defending the administration? There's a guy who really knows what he's doing. Obviously, has the stuff in his head right off the top of his his beautifully bald head because he has a great haircut. Uh, well, you know, so why why isn't he out there out front and center? I mean, Republicans seriously, they couldn't sell ice water to the damned. Trump met with the families of some of the victims of killings of you know, police killings and other killings. And he met with this lady, Wanda Cooper Jones, who's the mom of that guy, Ahmad Arbery. Now, there was a really bad story. That was a story I was like, I, I, my eyes rolled because some, t- some conservatives were going, well, this guy was a petty criminal. As You know, this was the guy that in Georgia, these two clowns chased him down with guns because they thought he might be a burglar. <laughs> And there were people there. You know, this is what I mean. There were conservatives online going, well, he had a criminal record. I was like, who cares? Who cares? And well, when you point it, when somebody points a gun at you, you have to do what he says. Since when was that the rule? When is that the rule in America? <laughs> I mean, this was like I said, like I said, if everything, if everything these guys said about this kid was true, they still murdered him. You know, I mean, this was this was a bad one. So he met with the mom, uh, Wanda Cooper, Wanda Cooper Jones. And here's what she came out and said. He was he was very compassionate. He he showed major concerns for all families, not just one family, but for all families. I can um, say that um, President Trump was very receiving. He listened and he addressed each and every family accordingly. See, so this is what I don't understand. See, now Trump gets this right. Trump gets it. It took him a long time. It took him t- too long. He was too long off the off the block doing this. But but now he's doing it. And he's, this is the right thing to do. It's like we should not be saying black lives matter because it means black leftists matter. We should be saying, hey, your your deal stinks. We know because this is happening in your cities, Democrats. We know this. It's you who've done this stuff. It's you who do it. And if it's not, we should be saying, if, if you know, if you guys are for the poor, how come all the rich people support you? Why aren't we saying that? Why doesn't Trump come out and say, hey, but we have a plan. You know, Trump does it more than other Republicans. He really does. He does reach out more than other Republicans. But why aren't the other Republicans supporting him? Why are they falling in line with this stuff? Why do they get cowed so quickly by leftist maneuvering. These these demonstrations are not going to help black people. They're not. They're not. You know, they're even even if there's some good police reform that goes on. And I hope there is. Again, you can always reform power centers. I'm always for for making power centers, you know, more responsible. That's always good. And the police are a power center. Personally, I think you probably need more local control than the federal government. The federal government doesn't do these things very well. So it probably is going to take local control. But still, it's not a bad thing that there's police reform. It's a bad thing that they took the narrative and turned it into this instead of schools because they won't let go of the teachers unions, marriage, because they won't let go of like every sexual deviation on earth has to somehow be elevated to the point of Adam and Eve. I mean, this is this is this is their policies. Their their policies did this. So that L, that L that stands for leftist and BLM, that's a it's a dodge. You know, it's a dodge. And we we just fall right into it. We get so cowed. We're so afraid. We're so afraid of being canceled. We're so afraid of losing money, of losing power, of losing a little bit of reputation. It, it, we just fall into it every time. I'm telling you, 
the, the second stupidest people in the country. All right, we got the mailbag coming up. We are going to solve all your problems, which is great. So that, that'll lighten your load. You'll have time to do other things. But before I go to that, I have to tell you that we have this Reader's Pass promotion that you have to do because it is inexpensive. And that's what we're all about. We're all about the money, right? That's all we care about. <coughs> and I know some of you can't afford the all access thing and you want to feed your children and pay your rent and all that stuff. So it's one buck for the first month. It's $36 after that, $3 a month after that's 36 for the year. You get articles ad-free, which is huge. And you get the Daily Wire talent writer exclusive articles. It is, uh, it's just a, an easy way for you to become one of our subscribers, which is helpful for us. So we're not responsible to other people. We're only responsible to to you. That's the way we like it. Also, backstage is tomorrow, 3.30 Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. Uh, and if you're a member, you can also ask us questions there and we might even answer some of them or we might just mock you. Mailbag is coming up. All right, mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> You just, you just never know the reactions, <laughs> the reactions you're going to get. Uh, from another Drew, it says, I just read my first James Bond book. Those are entertaining. They're really good. Uh, and I couldn't help but enjoy it because of how it's so clear that men and women are different. Ian Fleming writes James Bond as so unashamedly manly for better and for worse. It made me think of how you write a lot of your female characters as so unashamedly feminine, just as strong as men, but not in the same way men are strong. It's quite frankly why I love your book so much. Well, I appreciate that. The men are so manly and the women are so womanly, but neither seem to be less than the other. It's actually beautiful in a way, and I don't think you get enough credit for it. Well, I listen, I can always use more credit. That is true. Uh, my question is, why do you think people struggle to see men being manly and women being womanly as a beautiful thing? And are there any authors you'd recommend who are also great at making the distinction between manliness and womanliness? Uh, well, let's start with that. You know, it's very hard in modern pop novels uh, to get realistic female characters. Everybody has uh, joined in on this idea that the the women that we have to follow are the action women and the women who uh, you know do things that they could never do in real life and wouldn't be called upon to do in real life. Uh, women who are working, women who are not uh, homemakers and not uh, very womanly, even no matter what they're doing. Uh, and that's just uh, you know basically political correctness, which is the hammer of the left. Political correctness is the weapon of the left that they have used very effectively to silence and frighten people. So it's hard to find womanly characters in uh, in popular novels. And that's why I write them, because I, first of all, um, well, I, I actually think femininity is one of the most important things in human life. I think it is the where a lot of our humanity comes from. It comes from the feminine principle, which is better represented by women and most often represented by women than it is by men. Men make bad women. Women make bad men. You know, it's just the way, the way it is. But, you know, if you want to read, I mean, there are great female characters doing very realistic things. If you ever want to read, you know, more difficult novels uh, or, or more classic novels, uh, um, Jane Austen writes fantastic women, incredibly complex and deep women. Uh, the Maltese Falcon has one of the great, that's a popular novel. The Maltese Falcon has one of the great female characters of all time. Uh, Phineas Finn, you know, uh, Trollope, Anthony Trollope, who writes Victorian novels. So you have to like a real 800 page read, you know, that's Anthony Trollope novels. But he writes great women in, and you see them at the, where feminism has really just become a thing. 
Uh, and so you see them trapped in marriages and trapped in th- and wanting to act in a certain way and getting um, getting harmed by being female. And it's, it's it, he's very realistic about it and very realistic about what women are like and what their strengths are. And it's really interesting. If you have never read Phineas Finn, it is one of the seriously one of the best books on politics I've ever read and one of the best books on women as well. Why this has happened? I've I've talked about this a lot, but it's really worth saying, you know, that that. I'm I'm opposed to feminism because I think feminism pushes masculine values on women. That's why I'm opposed to feminism. But I'm not opposed. Obviously, I'm not opposed to women's rights. I want women to have all the choices they want. Uh, But but I am. But I I really do feel that femininity is devalued because for economic reasons, for actual practical economic reasons. Uh, you know, we, I always talk about Proverbs 31. Evangelicals like to say, I'm looking for a Proverbs 31 woman. Is that, that's like the, some melting flower that is going to, you know, uh, uh, be like sort of a, the submissive wife is going to submit to her husband and all that stuff. But the Proverbs 31 woman, when you look at her, is also an economic powerhouse. She buys land. She makes clothing. You know, women used to be called the distaff because that was the tool they used for making clothing. Uh, so, you know, she was an economic, she had all these home industries that she did, all those home industries were wiped out by the Industrial Revolution. Uh, suddenly, you didn't make clothes at home. You, the distaff was made obsolete like that. You know, suddenly, like all these things went on outside in factories where men went off to work in factories and children went off to work in factories. So they no longer became a help to the person at home. They never no longer took over the farm or took over the father's business. So children became less valuable, which made women as women uh, less valuable as well. So they actually found themselves in a situation where they lost a lot of the power they had as homemakers and, and leaders of home industries. And I, that is exactly when, it is exactly at that moment in time that feminism begins to move up in, into uh, the into the West consciousness. So it's, it actually does happen for a reason. It does happen for a reason. I think it's gone astray. I also think that computers can bring back home industries because I just don't think there's anything more important than homemaking. And I don't think men do it. I think that what women do, what women are made fashion to do is the most important thing people do. And I think people are afraid to say that because they've been cowed by feminism. Again, it's all this, you know, the left is very good at bullying. They are bullies. And they're very good at backing their bullying up with lawsuits. They're good with backing their bullying up with cancellation. They're good with backing, backing their bullying up with censorship. And people get afraid. You know, they're, they're afraid. And I'm just not afraid because I've got one foot out the door. <laughs> so, so, so ancient at this point, like I just don't care what they do. And, uh, and I also don't want that much I also don't want that much from the world, which is also an important thing, too. And that there aren't that many people who can say that. All right. Uh, so that answer, I hope that answers some of your questions. People don't do it because it makes it hard to get published. And uh, when you don't write the feminist line um, from Justin, I'm having trouble trying to figure out why the Republicans aren't agreeing with the peaceful protesters about the issue of systemic racism. It seems like this would be an excellent opportunity to agree and get a large number of the black caucus over to the, the the right side. After all, most of this is occurring in large blue cities and states. Why aren't they just pointing to the obvious and say, we agree with you? It seems like this would be a great time to get the narrative on our side. If my thinking is incorrect, please correct the error of my thoughts and bring me back. Yeah, you never win by adopting the narrative of the left. That's the whole thing is they set the narrative. When they you let them set the narrative, you lose. Systemic racism is a nonsense. It's a nonsense because there's the things they're talking about are so amorphous, you can never do anything about them. And that's the point. The point they want is to is to put forward problems, white privilege, systemic racism. 
that you can't touch because if you can't get your hands on them, then they always have a grievance and they can always sue you for something new and they can always find some new way to get power from you. That's the point. What we should be saying instead is not systemic racism. That's not what's keeping you down. There may be racism, but that's not what's keeping you down. It's left wing policies. Here's the proof. Everywhere you're in pain, there's a Democrat. Everywhere you're in pain, there hasn't been a Republican for all this time. It's left wing policies. And then we should say, I cannot believe, I cannot believe Republicans are not saying this. Black Lives Matter is a funnel to the Democrat Party and the Democrat Party is to blame. They, instead, you get Republicans actually with the, with the words Black Lives Matter coming out of your mouth. Of course, Black Lives Matter, but it's an insult. It's an insult to think there's anyone who thinks Black Lives don't matter. That's just insulting people. There's nobody, uh, uh, no decent human being in America thinks that Black Lives don't matter. And that's the implication of the name. But it puts you in this position where you have to support what is essentially a leftist organization. So, no, we shouldn't adopt their narrative. We should tell them to stuff their narrative. It's their fault. Just like slavery, just like Jim Crow, what's happening now is the fault of their policies. And we have to start to correct those policies and come up with plans of our own and walk into the neighborhoods and present those plans because we're getting killed on this issue. And we just keep getting killed on it. And it's ridiculous. And we have to start re rebuilding civil rights law to give people their freedom of association back. All right. Um, Jacob. To His Excellency, the imperious Tyrannus Maximus Supreme Clavin, you're a huge inspiration to me. I love your books and your demeanor toward life. I struggle with attaching myself to too many things as far as trying to have a life with purpose. I want to be a writer. I want to teach, do research, be involved in ministry and politics, and find myself doing internal somersaults constantly. I don't want to waste my life, but I find myself stuck, going nowhere, uh, thinking, but with no action to solidify it. I don't want my life reduced to a piece of paper I've earned, though I love academics. Did you ever struggle with career paths and purpose? And how did you overcome the struggle? I, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I knew from a little boy I wanted to be a writer. Uh, and my whole life has been about that. So anything else I've done has been in support of that or part of that or an extension of that in some way. Uh, it's always been about the words. And ultimately for me, it's always been about putting words on paper. So I didn't really have that kind of problem where I was going off in different directions, uh, though I've had to work very hard sometimes to support some project that I knew wasn't going to make money, but I thought was important to do. So I've had to work hard to keep what I want uh, going. You know, there, there's a movie. What's that movie with uh, Billy Crystal City Slickers where Jack Palance plays like a cowboy type guy. And he says, what's the secret of life? And Palance holds up a finger and he says, life, it's one thing. Commit yourself to one thing. And to be honest, one of the best pieces of advice I ever gave anybody, and she thanks me for it to this day, is she came to me and she said, I think I've decided what I want to do. And I said, good, go do it. Because it didn't matter what it was. Decide to do something and do it and stick to it. And that will open the path for you. You know, pick one thing, one thing and do it. And all the other stuff will follow. So commit yourself to something. You know, it's it's you're afraid to take a chance because you're afraid the other things will go away. Life is is short, but life is long. Life is short, but life is long. Life is short in that you will have to sacrifice things to do that one thing. But as you do that one thing, you will find there's time and places where you can do other things as well. So pick one. It, re it really almost doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter which one you pick. Pick it, do it, stick with it, succeed at it, and then you'll see that other things open up for you. Um, from Philip, uh, Dear Clavin Destroyer reads, why, why did the black community crater more than the white community after no-fault divorce and welfare became easily available? Uh, actually, that, you know, that it's not true. It's like what I, what I said before, poor people suffer from these things. It's poor people. And there's a lot of poor black people. They've been turned into an underclass by Democrat policies. And so while a rich guy can get divorced 
and it may ruin his children's life, he can pay, he can pave over the problems that he has with money. Poor people can't do that. I mean, so that's the thing. But when, when these things disappear from the Midwest and when they disappeared from poor communities in the Midwest, they hurt them too. And, and that's why I think Republicans are dumb. I mean, I love uh, Kevin Williamson over National Review, but he was writing these things about people dying in the Midwest saying, well, they deserve it because they're, you know, not getting married. It was basically the same thing that sometimes people say about blacks. Well, it's their fault. They're not getting married and all this stuff. It's their responsibility. Only they can change it, but it's not their fault. It really is difficult. Once poverty takes hold, once communities fall apart, once you don't have a dad, it's really hard. And once your mom is on drugs or whatever, it's really hard to build your life as a child. Remember, these are children you're talking about. They, they may be adults now. The guy who's robbing you may be a bad guy now, but he was a child who was struggling with this too. And so I'm not saying you let him off the hook for what he's doing. I'm saying you get to the next generation and you start to say, okay, how can we start to build this community? How can we help? How can we help? You know, that's what politics is there to do. It's there to help, but it's not necessarily there to help by saying, oh, here's some money. It shouldn't be there. It's also there to preserve your freedoms. That is what government is for, right? Because government, we know, is to preserve your freedom. So first it has to preserve your freedom, and then it has to think, well, in preserving your freedom, what can the community do? What can it do? And sometimes it can't be the federal government because they don't really know each community. It should be the community government, and it should be community uh, people, like churches and things like that. But the system has been gutted by leftism. The system has been gutted by leftism. Churches, gutted by leftism. Uh, you know, supports, charities, gutted by leftism. So all this stuff uh, is has been destroyed. A lot of the community supports have been destroyed by leftism, and we don't fight back. We think, well, we lost that fight. Let's move on to the next fight. And by the way, let's make a lot of money. <laughs> That's basically the Republican, uh, the Republican way. Uh, all right. This next one is too long. I'm running out of time. Uh, from Austin, with our country being so divided and seemingly getting worse, which of these four things... Oh, boy, it's a multi- I don't get a lot of multiple choice questions. Which of these four things do you think is most likely and which do you think is least likely? One, the left wins politically and ushers in communism over time and we lose our country to the slow process of becoming socialist. Two, the right wins politically and changes the minds of the leftist masses and we start moving back towards our founding principles. Neither one or two happens and we remain stuck in this highly charged limbo forever where we continue to be taxed at a high level and have to hear Hollywood leftist virtue signal online. So it's hell. Um, for the division becomes so bad that we end up in some sort of second civil war. Well, the question is not what's going to happen, because I can pretty much tell you what's, what's going to happen. It's when. Uh, really, the question is when. I mean, ultimately, on the path that we're on, if we continue on the path we're on, uh, there's going to be t- a time of violence, and ultimately, the republic will not survive. And it'll pretend to survive. It'll seem like it survived, but really will become ruled uh, by some kind of imperial figure. I mean, that is, that is what ultimately happens to democracies. They become chaotic because everybody celebrates freedom as the highest good, and then they become tyrannical because you can't live in chaos. Uh, and there'll be times of violence and, and civil war-like uh, fighting uh, before that. And that could happen. Um, and I would say that the odds are ultimately it will happen. But the big question is, does it happen today or does it happen 100 years from now? Because if it happens 100 years from now, I won't be here so I don't care. And, and listen, if it happens 100 years from now, you won't be here, so you won't care. So everything that conservatives do is meant in stretching out the time because life ends. That's what conservatives do. We're like doctors. Everything that human beings make falls down. Every living thing dies. Everything. Everything. No exception. Every nation falls. Every great nation collapses. 
All of them. There's zero percent exceptions. Zero percent exceptions. One day America will be gone. So that's what will happen ultimately. But what you're fighting for is today. You're fighting to keep the things. Not today. This is not that day, right? And so, uh, you know, I can tell you what will happen, but I can't tell you when it will happen. America will fall. America will collapse. But will it happen today? And that's why I'm not into despair. That's why I feel despair is a child's game, because it's easy to despair. It's easy to say, oh, the country's going to fall. Yes, it is but not today. And the thing is, you know, this is a dangerous time. It's a difficult time, but it is a time that we can get through if we play our cards right. And if we fight the fights that need to be fought instead of uh, only taking care of self all the time, you know, you got to fight the fights that need to be fought. You got to listen to the people who are in pain and, and present your uh, programs in such a way that they can understand them and that they'll buy into them. You've got to stick to freedom. Nobody likes freedom. Very few people, you know, you're looking at basically the Freedom Coalition. <laughs> if you're watching the show, you are looking at the Freedom Coalition. It's a very small number of people who care about freedom. People want things fixed now. And so in order to keep your freedom, you have to find ways to fix things without destroying your freedom. That's the creative project of being a conservative because Democrats don't have to do that because they don't care about freedom, right? They just don't care. They, they really don't care. They care about power and winning. So like they don't care about freedom and they think that's going to bring about justice. It's not. It's just going to bring about tyranny. But I think the, the decent ones among them think it will bring about justice. So you have to figure out who you're going to ally with to keep your freedoms and yet stop people from being in, you know, stop injustice and stop people from being in pain. It's very difficult to do. I know it's, you know, I know I yell at Republicans for doing it so badly, but it is difficult to do, especially with the press and every institution is against us. Because they know, they know leftism keeps the rich rich and the powerful powerful. So you got to fight. So I'm, I know it'll happen. America will fall, but hopefully it won't be soon. And that's that's the only thing I can tell you. And I got to stop there. But I'll see you again tomorrow. Now you've got no problems. So you have lots lots of time. But I'll see you again tomorrow. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is the Andrew Clavin Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Rioters tear down a statue of Thomas Jefferson, a Democratic senator blames America for inventing slavery, and I sit down with the White House Chief of Staff. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.